This morning's scripture reading is comprised of selections from Paul's letters. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, do not quench the spirit. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I'm gonna go long today, I apologize for that. Let's just get that over with. Um, and I do apologize for it. So, you know, sometimes people will say, you don't need to apologize for going long. Well, I do. Uh, it's, you know, it's a contract we have. It's an unspoken agreement. I'm going to get you out of here on time. And it works. You know, relationships are built on trust. They are built on predictability. That's, that's a good thing. And so I don't like to, to break that uh, unspoken agreement we have. And I mean this in all seriousness. You know, if, if you need to leave at 1130, just get up and go and I will not be offended at all. I have become increasingly jealous for your Sunday mornings. You know, I'm trying, now I'm saying you need to spend an hour before you come to church uh, doing church stuff. And so I, I don't have a right to your, your Sunday afternoons as well. So uh, I, I do apologize, but what happened was, <laughs> so when I started preaching, I was terrible. And then uh, for like a couple years, this, I, I just hit nine years. We just, uh, Brittany and I have been here nine years just last week. And yeah, th thank you, yeah. Uh, for a couple years, maybe like year seven or eight, I was, or six or seven, I don't know. I, I was getting okay at, at putting sermons together, and I was feeling like I, I got the hang of this. And then over the last year, it's just completely fallen apart. It's just, just the wheels came off. And so I give you these sob stories every week now about, oh, what happened this week? Uh, so what, <laughs> what happened this week? Same old story. Uh, yesterday at two o'clock, I had a 20,000 word manuscript, which is two hours. And then we had to go to a wedding last night. And so we le left at three o'clock and uh, got home late and I went to bed with a 20,000 word manuscript and got up at three this morning to try to cut it down. And then I just kept writing new stuff after I already had 20,000 words. And so at 10 o'clock, it was like, okay, it's, it's over. So I, I have no idea I, of those 20,000 words, or 25 now, I have no idea what's coming out. I have no <laughs> idea, and I'm going to try to cut it off at a reasonable time, but it's just kind of the, the first like segment that comes to mind is going to be what, what, what happens. So that, that's what we're doing today, and again, feel free to leave at any time. <laughs> just, 
It's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, in spite of all that, in, in spite of me, I do have a sense that, that God is going to do something this morning. I have a sense that the, the Spirit is going to move in our midst in a special way this morning. So I'd like to, to begin with a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, come. We ask you to come now. You are welcome here. You're welcome in this room. You're welcome in this church. So come like a wind, come like the rain, come like a fire, come like a flood. Fall upon us, fall in this room, fall in every heart. We know that you hear our request because we make it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the subject, as you know, is uh, worship. Is If you have to put one word to it, we call it worship. Talk in just a minute about why that's not a good word. Uh, I, I love these types of sermons, and by these types of sermons, I mean sermons where I'm just trying to persuade you to do this one thing. There's this one thing that I'm trying to convince you to do. And this is my favorite type of sermon. I would do it every week, except that you can't do it every week because then you've got 52 things to do, and it's just exhausting. But I love this because it's just very clear whether it's a success or not. You know, with a lot of sermons, mine included, it's like, well, what, what was the point? You know, is it, was it to inspire me? Was it to motivate me? Was it to teach me something? Was it to shift my perspective? Was it to change my behavior somewhere down the line in some way? It's not totally clear, and usually it's some mix of all of those. Well, this morning, it's none of those. None of those. None of those things matter. All that matters is, are you going to do the thing that I'm trying to persuade you to do? And if you're not persuaded, that's not your fault. That's my fault. And it's my job to persuade you. It's your job to try to be open-minded and, and reasonable, but uh, it's my job to persuade you. And if I persuade you, you will do this thing. So let's not, let's not have any mistake about that. You know, sometimes people will talk about it like, oh, well, I was convinced, but I just didn't do it because I forgot, or... No, it, part of the argument is how important the thing is. And so if you are convinced, you will do it. If you don't do it, you weren't convinced. And that's, that's fine, but at least we know what the terms are. We know what success and failure is. And the thing I'm trying to convince you to do, uh, the specific thing I'm trying to convince you to do, it's not a big secret. Talked about it three weeks ago. Talked about it in an email this week. I, I want you to sing to God, to sit by yourself, and sing to God. I want you to start doing it a couple times a week if you've never done it before, and then I want you to start doing it every day, and then I want you to start doing it several times a day and throughout the day. Sing out loud to God by yourself. Now, right there, as soon as we put it out there, there's uh, two different groups of people. So there's some of you who are like, yes, amen, this is great. I love to sing to God. I love worship music. I love Christian music. I'm listening to it all day. Uh, and, you know, you're thinking, finally, you know, you're talking about, and you're patting yourself on the back because you're like, I already do this, you know, you're, you're bringing the whole church over to my corner. Well, n not exactly. Maybe, I don't know, but, but let me just say this. What I'm talking about is a supernatural thing. 
It's a supernatural thing that has to be done very intentionally. So if you have a natural proclivity for music, if you like to sing, if you're a musical person, if you grew up in a Christian home or somehow got into Christian music and worship music, and that's like just something that you like naturally, uh, it's like the, your preferred radio station, well, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about at all. You may be doing what I'm talking about some of the time, but you may just be uh, doing something you like. You know, it may just be a hobby. So it, it's not necessarily that. And I, I bring up that group of people, you know, the, the Christian-y folks, the music-loving folks, uh, because I'm more concerned about the other group of people that's here, which I think is a far bigger group of people. And that's those of you who are like, I, I just am not going to do this. You know, like sitting by myself and singing to God. Like this is just not my thing. I'm not one of those people. And the reason I'm trying to bring up these two groups of people at the beginning is because I'm saying I, I know that. I get that you're not one of those people. And I'm not trying to make you one of those people. You don't have to become like those people to do this. You don't have to even like music to do this. You don't have to be a good singer. You don't have to know how to carry a tune at all. You don't have to know any Christian songs. And you never have to become an artistic, Christian-y, music-loving person. But you do have to sing. You have to sing. You have to sing. The Bible says over and over and over. You have to sing. You must sing. Most commanded thing in the whole Bible. We talked about that three weeks ago. So for those of you who are in the majority... Of you just have never got it, and you're just not into it. Uh, that's fine, but but just realize that it's not an identity thing. You know, you don't have to become one of those people, but you do have to have to do it. So, uh, in terms of the thing itself, you know, I talked about uh, in the email. Just you put your headphones on and you get your phone. And uh, if you play an instrument, fine. You know, but if you most people don't uh, play guitar or piano and can't or don't like to sing a cappella. And so then you just put the songs on and you sing along to it. It's important to sing along to it. It's important that it be your voice. So uh, the music in the background, music on the commute, those are great things. You know, I'm not against those by any, by any means. But what I'm talking about is you raising your voice to God. You opening up your mouth and singing to God. So that's, uh, that's what we're talking about this morning. And that's what I'm trying to convince you to do. Now, as far as the, the Bible's commandments, let's, let's talk for a minute about... Uh, you know, I said three weeks ago, most commanded thing in the whole Bible. And the reason that you sometimes don't see it at the top of a list, you know, the, the, you see these lists of what are the most frequently commanded things. The reason sometimes it's not at the top of the list is because it's commanded in all these different phrases and words. So, so you, and you heard them during the scripture reading today. You know, it'll say uh, rejoice. It'll say give thanks. It'll say give praise. It'll say sing. It'll say make music. It'll say make melody in your hearts. It will say, uh, shout aloud. It says all these different things. And then even within those, there's all these different breakdowns. You know, so we're in the singing category. You've got sing, uh, sing a psalm, sing a hymn, sing a spiritual song. You know, or the make music. It says make music with the harp, make music with the lyre, make music with the trumpet. Well, <laughs> that's not like a checklist of all these different ways that you have to praise. And you're like, well, I've got to do all these separate commands. It's all the same thing. It's just, it's all talking about the same thing. And when you combine them all together, then it's by far the most commanded thing in the whole Bible. The reason, though, I think it's important to, to call out the fact that all those commandments are talking about the same thing is because some of those uh, words we don't see as being musical words, 
but they are. In, in the Bible, the, the music, the singing is implied. So take the word rejoice, for example. Uh, when we hear the word rejoice, A, we don't even use that word anymore, you know, so who knows what it means to rejoice. But B, I don't think most people think of it as being inherently musical, that re rejoicing is automatically singing. Well, in the Bible, it is. In the Bible, the way you see the word rejoice used, it's always synonymous with singing or giving praise. It's, it's just got this musical component. Now, here's the crazy thing. Is that the, that the same thing about the word rejoice or give thanks would be the same thing? Uh, like, um, sorry, I hold off on the, the crazy thing I was going to tell you. Uh, I thought of something else. Uh, give thanks, like we do gratitude. We talk about gratitude every year. And, you know, we've talked about these gratitude lists that you should write. You know, give thanks and you write a list to God of the things you're thankful for. Well, that's fine, that's good. But in studying for this topic, I realized that I've led you astray a little bit on that. Because as great as that is, when the Bible says give thanks, it means sing. It just does. Because you see these passages, parallel passages, where Paul will be saying one thing to one church and another thing to another church, and it's almost exactly the same. And then in one letter he says give thanks, and the other letter he says sing. You know, so it's the same thing. Give thanks means sing. And rejoice means sing. Now the crazy thing I was going to tell you is, it's not just the terms rejoice, and it's not just the terms like give thanks that have this implied musical component. The most important word in the Bible that has an implied musical component that we totally miss is the word pray. The word pray. Most of the time, you see the word pray in the Bible, it's talking about singing. You say, what are you talking about? How do you know that? Well, go back to what we've been saying all summer. We said Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. Well, that's true. It is the prayer book of the Bible. But it, it kind of misses it in terms of the way we use the word prayer today. Because it's the prayer book of the Bible, but it's also the song book of the Bible. All of those psalms had tunes at some point. We don't know what they are, but they had tunes. And Jewish prayer was sung. That just was the default way of praying. That's still true today, by the way. So if you go to a, a synagogue, their service is very similar to ours in structure. They have songs, and then they have a sermon. They call the sermon a sermon. They call the songs prayer. They say, well, what prayers are we going to pray today? Let's have a time of prayer. In other words, let's, let's all sing together. So, you know, Matt said something interesting that got me thinking about this. In his sermon at the beginning of the summer, he said, uh, what was Jesus doing all night when he was praying? And he listed a bunch of different things, and then one of the things he mentioned was singing. Well, as I thought about it more and more, Jesus probably spent most of the night singing. When it says Jesus went and prayed, he went and sang. Why? Because Jesus prayed the Psalms. The Psalms are set to music. Jesus knew the tunes of the, the Psalms. So he's not going to, he knows the tune, he's not going to just sit there and recite it instead of singing it. When's the last time a song that you know, you know, you, you just started saying it instead of singing it, reciting it like a poem? What this says is, uh, music, singing, is the default way of praying. So it's not like something you add in. You know, there's only so many different ways you can pray. You can think it, you can write it, you can speak it, or you can sing it. That's about it. Well, of those four, uh, so thinking it is clearly inferior to, to writing it or speaking it. Why? Because thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips or the fingertips. So it's clearer to write it and to speak it. You only think it when you, you're around other people and you, you, know, you, you uh, can't speak it out loud or can't write it down. 
But then of writing and speaking, you know, there's pros and cons to both. From a biblical perspective, though, singing is by far the best. Singing is the best. Prayer is words and music combined. Now, I'm not saying that every single time in the Bible the word prayer is used that there's music. Because if you take the music away, if you strip the music away and just have the words, is it still prayer? Sure. But you're stripping something away. You know, we, we act like, well, prayer, default prayer is spoken, and then you can add music in as like, a, like an extra flowery ornamentation. No, 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 that's the default, and you're stripping it away. One of the best things about uh, Bob Dylan getting the Nobel Prize is reminding all of us, wait a minute, songs are default poetry. Like, at some point, poets stopped knowing how to sing, and so they, they said, well, why don't, you know, real poetry doesn't have music. Real poetry doesn't, and, and that became like somehow more serious and more, it was, it was thought of as like higher and better, you know, more literary if you had just a written poem with no music than the poem plus the music. Well, how is that higher and better if you just took out half of it? You know, it's not higher and better at all. The default poetry is music just like default prayer is music. So what we're talking about when we're talking about singing to God, it's not some auxiliary thing. You know, like, well, you got prayer and scripture as, like, the two main habits, and then you got this, like, extra singing thing that you can do to, like, bolster your spiritual life. Now, this is prayer. Singing is prayer. Singing is the main way you pray. And if you pray without singing, there's, there's good, your prayer life is anemic in, in a really important respect, and it's not, it's not going to work the way it's supposed to work. So we're talking about one of the most essential, if not, if not the, if not the most essential habit in the Christian life. I mean, it's the most commanded thing in the whole Bible. Sing to God. So that's the kind of clarifying the terms. We, so I'm going to try to do this for myself, try to uh, talk about what we've covered so I can figure out where, where we should go next. Um, so uh, that's who we're talking to. That's who I'm talking to. That's the goal this morning to convince you to do this thing. And that's what the thing is. It's prayer, most commanded thing in the whole Bible, and all these different terms refer to it. Now let's talk about uh, two things. Why God wants you to do this thing, and then why you should want to do this thing. Why God wants you to do this thing, and why you should want to do this, this thing. And they're not the same. You know, sometimes we, we act like, uh, our motives and God's motives are like identical or like uh, people that are really spiritual act like this They say well the thing I want the most in my life is to glorify God Well, no, that's just not true. That can't possibly be the thing you want the most in your life I'm sorry. That's the thing God wants most The thing God wants most is to glorify God But the thing you want most is to glorify you and if you can't be honest about that Then there's a real problem, you know the most spiritual person in the world the saintliest person in the world thinks about themselves 10 times more than they think about God. The most loving, compassionate person in the world, if you think, I'm so loving and compassionate, you think about yourselves 10 times more than you think about any of the people you love. That's just how we're wired. So our motives and God's motives are different. They're not the same. It's not like there's one set of reasons that us and God should both want to do this. Why does God want us to do it? Let's talk about that first. Why does God want us to sing praises to him? And let's not just, not, not just the uh, music part. Let's remember what the content of what's being sung is often. 
It's saying, oh God, you're so great. Oh God, you're so wonderful. Oh God, you're so holy. And he commands this. So this is a little bit awkward. You know, it's like a, a king making a law. Everybody has to give me a compliment, you know, every day. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. And it's made Christians uncomfortable throughout the centuries. You know, they've tried to defend God and, and get God out of this awkward situation and, and say, uh, well, you know, he, he's doing it for us. He's asking for praise He's asking us to praise because he knows that that's what's good for us. That's his primary motive is our good. So he's just commanding it because it's good for us. Well, it can't, again, back to kind of the, the self-centeredness of all beings, including God, our good can't be his primary and only motive in, in doing everything he does. Why? Because he made us before we existed. So our good couldn't have been his primary motive for that. He had to have some other reason. And his primary motive in all things, in all of his commandments, is not our good. That's his secondary motive. His primary motive is his own pleasure. He just commands stuff because he likes it. And he's God, and so he says, I want you to do what I like, and I like it when you sing to me. I like it when you sing praises to me. And again, in trying to get him off the hook, because this just feels so awkward to us, You've heard, uh, I've heard people say all the time, well, God doesn't need our praises. God doesn't need us to sing to him. Technically true. Technically true statement, he doesn't need it. But it's misleading because he really, really likes it. And he's really sad when we don't. And so if you say, well, I don't need it, but I'm going to be really sad if you don't. I mean, that's, it kind of changes it a little bit. We, the, we have these uh, philosophical abstractions about God. You know, the omnis. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And at some point along the history of the church, the philosophers got a hold of God, and they made him into all these qualities. But when you read the Bible, he's not qualities. He's a person. He's a person who is deeply emotionally affected by our actions. So when we do these things that, that hurt him he's hurt he's like really hurt and he's trying to tell us how hurt he is there's all these passages in scripture where he tries to talk to us about how hurt he is when we sing to him when we sing praises to him he delights in it it says it makes him really really happy and you know we act like oh well no i mean he's god so what, what do we matter to god and he's god so we can't affect how he feels that's just not true technically does God not need our praise, not need our worship? Fine. Technically, he doesn't need it. But it's a big deal to him. And the reason he commands it primarily is for his own sake, because he likes to hear it. I had this great uh, conversation a couple weeks ago with a friend who was talking to uh, Brittany and I both, and uh, she didn't know that we're going to be preaching about this. And she was talking about this experience she had where when she first became a Christian, uh, she was she stumbled across some YouTube video of like a worship concert, you know, like a, a people singing, but it was like a, a lot of people, like thousands of people. Um, this is a thing. If you don't know, you know, in New York, you might not know, but there's this happens like in around the country and around the world, you know, thousands of people want like kind of a rock concert type uh, vibe. And she was saying on the jumbotron in this arena. Uh, they put the, the word Jesus up on the screen and like the letters so big that it filled the entire screen and they were like kind of flashing and glittery. And she said uh, that she just saw it and was so like turned off by it. 
You know, it just, just felt so tacky. And she just kind of left it and, and uh, moved on. A couple years later, she said she was actually at one of these things. And she had totally forgotten about that other experience, but it happened again. Uh, I don't know if it was the same, you know, group or whatever, but either a different group did the same thing or the same group. Same thing, Jesus. Jesus' name. in big, huge, bright letters, glitter, flashing. And she said that her response was totally different. She kind of was moved by it and, and kind of felt like she was joining in with it, like she wanted to say, yeah, Jesus, like uh, worship because of it. But then she said she had this thought. She said, I, I thought, I wonder if Jesus likes to see his name in lights like that. I wonder if Jesus likes to see his name big on a screen like that. And if he does, who are you to tell him that he shouldn't? Who are you to tell him, oh, no, no, Jesus, that's, that's garish. That's ostentatious. Speaking of ostentatious, look at creation. Look at the world. The whole thing is ostentatious. The whole thing is garish with bright green and, and purple sunsets. And he didn't, God did not console you when he gave the peacock a million colors, you know? <laughs> his tastes are his tastes. He makes stuff because he likes it. He makes stuff because he wants to look at it. He likes what he likes. And if he likes his name and lights, you don't have the right. I don't have the right to tell him you shouldn't like that. He makes this stuff to display his glory. Talk about bold and bright. What the Bible is so clear about is that the sun, well, a couple of things. So if, if, you, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, you're going to get it totally backwards. Because from a scientific perspective, or from, a, from an evolutionary perspective, I should say, uh, the, the sun is just one of billions or trillions of stars, and we just happen to be next to it. So there's stars, and then the sun just happens to be one of them. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible said that God, God made the sun. He made the sun. He made this blazing ball of fire. Why? Just say, that's what I'm like. That's me. Just this blazing ball of fire. And it says in, in Revelation, it says several times in the Bible, Jesus is like the sun, with eyes like the sun, or a face like the sun. Well, don't get it backwards. You know, you think, okay, so we've got the sun, and then we analogize and say, well, Jesus maybe is like that. No, 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 Jesus was first. Jesus' glory was first. The sun was made as a reflection of him. And then God makes the sun first, and he says, well, we'll figure out some purposes for the sun. You know, we'll figure out a function of the sun. And then what he does is he's like, well, how about a trillion more suns just scattered all over the universe for no purpose at all? No reason at all for all of them. But I made one sun, why not make a, a trillion more just to light up the sky? He likes what he likes. And he likes it when we sing to him. He likes the way it makes him feel. We are made in his image. I don't know if you've noticed, you like it when people praise you. You do. Everybody does. We're act all embarrassed about it, like we don't care, or like, oh, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me. Well, it matters. It matters. And we are made in the image of God, and sometimes the things that we think were most unlike God in this certain respect, sometimes those are the ways that we're actually most like him. 
He likes it when we praise him, and he commands it for that reason. So that's why God wants you to praise him. That's why he wants you to sing to him. Now, why song in particular? Uh, because, again, it's just because he likes it. It's, it's, as far as we can tell, that is God's language. More than any other language, music is God's language. Uh, back to the evolutionary biologist. The evolutionary biologist has two things that are really hard to explain. One, they have to explain why music affects us the way it does. Now, this is easier. Like, you can tell some story about uh, social, but your music enables us to bond socially, which enables us to fight off predators, you know, and survival of the, the fittest. So that's, that's fine. It's still a, a pretty tough sell. But the thing that they, I've never heard anybody even come close on, like, they can't even touch this, is it's one question about why does music move us so deeply, and it does. It's like a spell. Like with a, a kid, a baby, you don't have to teach them. The music comes on and they dance. They can't help but dance. It's, it's magic. It's, it's, it's a completely magic spell. So there's one, one hard thing to explain, which is why does music do that to us as humans? But the harder thing to explain is why does music exist at all? Why, in, you know, mathematically, like all these pitches in, in, in physics and sound, and why when, harmony, where you have two notes, and then the two notes lock into each other. You remember this from, from 11th grade physics. The two notes lock in, and so you've got the two notes, but then they procreate, and you've got like hundreds of notes. Like they make more notes. Two people sing notes, and then the notes make notes. Why does that happen? Why is the universe like that? Because God wrote it into the fabric of the universe. Because this is God's language, just like math. You know, well, math is God's mind, the theory of relativity and Einstein and Newton, and it's, it's God's mind. And music is God's mind. This is the way he thinks. And so when we sing to him, we are speaking to him on his wavelength. Think about the angels. Every time you see the angels, they're singing. Why are they singing? Because that's the language that God wants to hear. That's what he, he understands best. So that's why God wants us to sing to him, because he likes it, and singing is his language. Now, why should you want to sing? And again, I do not expect you, and you should not expect yourself. You should not expect yourself. This is too, too high of a bar, and it's not even high. It's just the wrong bar. You should not expect yourself to say, well, God likes it, so I should want to do it. No, you and God are different people. Why do you want to do it? What are your motives for doing it? And the Bible gives us those as well. Like Dan talked about a few weeks ago, it's always mutual. You know, so... If he, was a, if he was an evil God, if he was a tyrant, he'd have the stuff that he likes and then screw you. If it hurts you, I don't care. You know, he's abusive. Well, it's not that. He, he likes what he likes, but he's good. And so because he's good, the things he likes are good for us too. They're good for everybody. You know, it's mutually beneficial. So it's not his primary motive. Our good isn't his primary motive, but it's, it's a nice side benefit and it goes together. What's the good to us? What's the good to us of singing these songs of praise? Uh, there was a verse that was read in the, the passage which said, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it goes back to something that we talked about, one of the, for those of you that did the homework, uh, one of the things we talked about in this sermon a few months ago when we were talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was talking about this kind of uh, ecstatic joy and peace these uh, intense experiences of joy and peace you can have when you're filled with God's presence. And 
what I said was I compared it to drugs and I compared it to sex. And we spent a while defending the uh, sex metaphor in that sermon. We, t- we unpacked that. But, and I, I talked about it from, from Scripture, from the Bible, why sex is a good metaphor for, for what you experience in these kind of ecstatic uh, moments with God. But we also talked about drugs a lot. We talked about drugs and alcohol a lot as a comparison. And I realized that uh, I never explained to you why I focused so much on, on drugs and alcohol. I never backed it up from Scripture. And I had this cool experience uh, a few nights ago that I've never had before, where I hadn't been uh, studying this passage at all, hadn't been reading this, hadn't been thinking about it. I woke up in the middle of the night just emblazoned on my mind. You know, it wasn't an audible voice, but it like almost could have been. Do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was just right there. Do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit out of nowhere. And I realized I forgot to tell him. I forgot to tell him why I made such a big deal about drugs and alcohol. And it's this verse. It was coming from this verse. When Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit, what does he mean? The wrong way to take that is like he's, he's uh, talking about like a, a bad thing versus a virtuous thing. You know, like don't do this thing, this, this bad thing. Instead, do this this hard good thing. You know, like you tell your kids, don't watch TV, do your chores instead, you know, and you know, they're supposed to like be excited about that. Um, that can't be what he's thinking. It, it's not a non sequitur. The reason he's talking about them in the same sentence is because they are the same type of thing. He's saying the high that you get from alcohol or the low or whatever you're seeking, the, the joy and the peace the sense of, of your problems going away, the sense of mild euphoria. He said, of course you want that. And of course, wine will give it to you sometimes. You know, it depends on the night, it depends on how much you drink, it depends on what you ate, it depends on a lot of things. Wine can give it to you sometimes. He said, but here's a better way. Get it from the Holy Spirit. Get it from being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the same type of thing, and he's saying, of course you're going to seek that feeling. And that's what we talked about in that message, is I encourage you to seek that feeling with God. I said, go to God directly for joy and peace. You gotta, you gotta sit with him and let him give that to you. And we talked about even you know, the physiological response, the tears that often come, the, the chills or the heat or the pressure or the sense of your chest exploding, whatever you wanna call it, that often comes. And you know, I said, I don't wanna be too specific about this and too rigid about it, like, uh, act like it has to be this way for everybody, but usually this is what it, what it feels like for a lot of people. So we talked about that, and again, the pastoral malpractice on my part totally dropped the ball. I, at the end of that message, said, now if you've never had this experience before, and by the way, I got a lot of pushback on that message. People being like, what are you trying to do? You know, like stand up here and say, here's this great experience, and you've never had it, and too bad for you, you know, like elitist and exclusive. That wasn't it. it. It was, if this is available, if this is out there, then you should be seeking it. And what I said was wrong. I said, if you never had this experience before, just pray and ask God for it. And if you keep asking him for, you know, a year maybe, he'll give it to you. Well, who's going to do that? You know, who's going to keep asking for a year? And I just was missing the most important ingredient. I somehow missed that in my own life, and then now, as I've been talking to, to other people about this over the past few weeks, the music has to be there. It's the singing. It's, it's always through times of singing. So you can't have that experience. You can have that, that ecstatic experience 
outside of singing, but it almost always happens through song. And you should be seeking that experience. You know, back to the, the selfishness of both parties. That's what you get out of it. That's, that's what you, you get. And it's not just a small thing. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with God himself. In that same passage, he says it. This is why I'm an idiot. You know, it's like right there, next line. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing songs. Like, boom, boom, boom. Like, you, I, mean, I should be fired. I mean, it's, it, could not, it could not be plainer. In year seven, I wouldn't have missed it, but now in year nine, I, you know, it's, it's, I can't see that stuff anymore. It's right there. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing songs. That's how. It goes both ways, too. You know, you see this happen all the time in Scripture where uh, the Spirit of God rushes on somebody, and then they start singing. Well, that's fine, but it goes the other way, too. It goes outside in. It goes inside out, but it also goes outside in. You can sing and invite the Spirit's presence. You can sing and invite the Spirit into your life. Why? Because it's God's chosen language. Because when you sing, basically what you're doing is you're opening up a portal to another world. You know, this is what the angels do. The angels are singing. God wrote music into the fabric of this cosmos because it's so important to him. And when you sing, you're, you're tapping into that and you're opening up that door that God himself can walk through. And then that changes everything. It's not just about joy and peace because watch what happens from there. So don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's talk about another passage that talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy and peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, faithfulness. So I think I got them all. Uh, now, that list is, is uh, demarcated. It's hierarchical. It's not just nine things all jumbled together. So the first thing is love. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. What's love? God is love. God is love. So it's not like love is one of nine things and they're all good and love is, you know, maybe the best, but it's right in there. No, love is the category of all of them. Love encompasses the whole thing. Love is God. The first fruit of the Spirit is you feel God's love. And that's the question for you this morning. If you, if you don't get anything else in this rambling sermon, if you miss the whole thing, just get this one question, which is, have you ever felt the love of God exploding in your chest? Have you ever just been sitting there and not been convinced of it, not read about it, but felt God's love wash over you like a wave, explode within you? Some of you are going to feel it for the first time today. Some of you are feeling it right now. You've never felt it before. You had no idea what this is. It's happening to you right now. Some of you, it'll happen later today. Some of you, it'll happen next month or next year. But you can't live the Christian life without that. And that's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Feeling God's love for you tangibly, physically, feeling it in your body. What happens from there? When you feel that love, the result of that is joy and peace. Love, joy and peace. You feel the joy and peace, which like we've talked about plenty of times before, those are churchy, religious sounding words, but that's all anybody wants. That's all anybody is seeking from any drug or any career or any illicit relationship or whatever it is, they're just seeking joy and peace. Well, then what happens? What happens when you have joy and peace? You know, the, the other pushback I got to that sermon was, 
What's so important about having these like warm, fuzzy experiences? Who cares? Well, here's why. Here's why it matters. Love, joy, and peace. What comes from there? What comes out of the tree from there? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It changes the way you act toward everybody else. And that's how you change. Just go to the top. Go and get the love and then feel the joy and peace. And then you'll just be those things. And it's such a waste of time trying to mess around on the level of action. Say, I got to be more patient. I got to be more patient. Well, everybody, including your kids, especially your kids, can tell the difference between somebody who's being patient by gritting their teeth and somebody who's being patient because they are so filled with joy and peace that how could they not be patient? The best thing you can do for your kids is sing. Because when you sing, you get God's love. And when you get his love, you get his joy and peace. And then you can be the parent you've always wanted to be. And the same thing is true for your career. The same thing is true for any area of your life. The best thing you can do, the most effective thing you can do is not read some other book about it and not try harder. It's just sing. Just sing and get God's love in your chest and the joy and peace that results from it. And then you change. It's a big deal. It's the fastest way to change. It's the fastest way to satisfaction. Because when your heart is full, then all of a sudden you don't have to be running around all these other addictions. You know, you don't have to have the extra piece of cake or whatever it is. You know, it's the little stuff and the big stuff. It's the sinful stuff and the not sinful stuff. That's the other sermon I asked you to listen to from the How to Change series. All these things that we run after, all these good things that we won't do that we know we should do, all these bad things, some of them really little, some of them big, that we keep doing and we can't stop doing them. Why? Because you're empty. Because you don't feel joy and peace. And the way to get it is to sing. Because when you sing, you open up this door. Last thing, last thing I want to say, and then we'll be done. And you guys have all been wonderful for for staying the whole time. Uh, I won't ever do this again. Uh, The last thing is just, if that doesn't motivate you enough, you know, the the positive side of the ledger, for you, your, your side of the ledger we're talking about, if it doesn't motivate you enough to just think about, well, I could be filled with God's love, filled with God's joy and peace, and then be this totally better person. Uh, a, I'm not quite sure how that wouldn't motivate you enough. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the whole ballgame. But just in case that's not enough, let's look at the negative side of the ledger. When I said, when you sing, it opens up a portal to another world. What I'm alluding to there is the fact that there is another world. There's another world. There's another world that's more real than this one. This one's real, the other one's more real. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Balaam is this prophet, he's riding on this donkey. Donkey stops in the middle of the road and he's whipping the donkey because he's in a hurry and he's mad and the donkey won't go anywhere. And finally the donkey just lays down in the middle of the road and Balaam's still whipping it. And then God opens Balaam's eyes, and there's an angel standing in the road. And God let the donkey see it, but he didn't let Balaam see it. But it's not like a vision of an angel. There's just an angel standing there, and the donkey can't get through because the angel is standing there. Or Elijah's with, you know, his assistant, and they're in this city, and they're surrounded, and there's all these, you know, bad guys, is what I would call them to my girls if I was trying to explain it. You know, the, the, the enemy. The enemy... And his assistant's all worried. And Elijah's like, what are, you, what are you worried about? Can't you see that there's more of us than there are of them? And God opens his eyes. He sees there's chariots all around. 
chariots of angels all around surrounding the enemy. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. I mean, when did we start thinking that only stuff we could see was real? Even scientifically, we know that that's not true. You know, it's like, oh, well, we discovered the atom. Well, that's real now because we can see it, kind of. And then <laughs> now you got, you know, subatomic particles and quarks and all these other things, and it's like, who thinks this is the end of the story? Like, what are they going to be able to, quote-unquote, see, you know, hundreds of years from now that we can't see today? There's all kinds of stuff, even in this cosmos, that's real, that we can't see. That's the most real, the most fundamental. And so, of course, in this whole other world that exists, there's stuff that, that's real that we can't see. And there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. Back to the book of Psalms. One of the things that I didn't understand for so long is, you know, trying to use the Psalms as a prayer book for my own spiritual life. So many of them are written by David, and he's, uh, so much of David's life is consumed by running from these enemies. So, so many of the Psalms are about enemies, you know, deliver me from my enemies, deliver me from my enemies. And so I'm trying to read the Psalms for myself, you know, use this spiritually. And I'm just always getting hung up, like, well, I'm going to skip that line. I I don't have any enemies. I mean, I know I do, but you are all very quiet about it. And so (laughs) I, you know, it's not top of mind for me. Uh, You know, enemies, what is this stuff? It felt so weird and, like, paranoid almost, you know? Like, what's all this enemy stuff? And then I realized that God knew what he was doing. You know, God, God gave us this book for a reason, and David meant it in one sense, but those psalms for us are supposed to be used in a different sense. Of course you got enemies. Of course you have enemies. Who do you think is always stealing your joy and peace? This is going back to that, that other sermon I asked you to listen to. The one about, all of a sudden, it all clicked for me. Well, where did things go so off the rails? Where did things go so wrong in my life? Who do you think is suggesting these addictions? Who do you think is suggesting these substitute ways to get joy and peace? You have enemies. And you know what the best way to protect yourself is? Sing. Because the devil can't stand it. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Like as much as God likes it, that's how much the devil hates it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But that's how you do it. You know, I talked in that sermon about resisting the devil, and I said, you got to curse him out and, you know, F off. Well, that's fine. That's good. But again, I realized I, uh, there was a better way. I mean, that, I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying do do this. I'm saying the way you say F off to the devil is you start singing. And sometimes you'll be in such a bad place. I've been in such a bad place. You know, every, if what, uh, I'm sitting there at night. I've had a bad day. I wasn't good to my wife. I wasn't good at my job. I wasn't good to my kids. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, what went wrong? And I think, what would make things better? And I think, if I sang right now, it would make things better. Well, that's the last thing I want to do. That is the last thing I want to do. I can't even stomach the thought of it. And thinking about singing, I don't even want to be that person, you know, that good person that sings. Like, that just disgusts me. But... (laughs) This is what I was talking about in that, that sermon about, uh, you know, the temptation and the devil back from, from February. Is if you're in that bad place, you know, so I can't get to a place where I want to sing because it's the right thing to do. But I can, I do have anger. 
I'm angry. And I have, to, I have to turn that anger somewhere. So what I can do is think, well, how did things get so bad today? You know, how did things get so off track? And then think about the one that did it to me and think, well, what would he hate? What would he really hate right now? And so I'll, I'll sing just to piss him off, just <laughs> to make him angry, not thinking about God at all. Just get out of here. Get out of here. It's protection. It's protection. The reason, the reason you sing to God, the best reason to sing to God is for the same reason you had to pay the mob boss in your old Italian neighborhood. You know, it's, it's protection. It's protection in this very real, very real and very dangerous spiritual universe that we all live in. That's what Paul says. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the, these spiritual powers in the unseen realms. And so he says, you heard him, he said, put on the armor of God and sing, sing your heart out. Sing to resist the devil. Sing to be filled with the Spirit. Sing to feel God's love. Sing to feel his joy and peace. This silly little habit, this thing that you thought, I'm not musical, I, I don't do that. Well, <laughs> you are, you're missing the whole ballgame. And I have been too. All you have to do, all we have to do, is to, to get God on our side, helping us out, giving us the stuff we need, protecting us. All we have to do is do the stuff he likes. And so we just sing to him. We sing to him, and the rest falls into place. Let's pray. Spirit, I ask you again, Come. Come and meet us here. Come and fill our hearts. As we lift our voices to you in this place, as we join our voices to the angels, as we sing like they are singing all the time, I ask that you would do what you've promised to do, that you'd protect us, that you would give us a sense of your love, that you would change us as we open up this door for you to walk through. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.